Ooh, here we go. Anything can happen because it's a free parking episode of the Overnight Scape Central. I am BQ River, and we've got up the Doc Slees, Chad Bowers, and Frank Edward Nora awaiting us. Um, and this is one of those weeks that I call free parking, where uh, anything goes. Whatever topic has come to mind that uh, you care to address, this was your chance. And of course, we're pretty flexible anyways here. And you could have been here. You should have been here. And at the end of the show, as always, I will tell you what next week's topic is and encourage you, invite you, cajole you to join us then for the following week's show that we've been doing this for many, many years. We're coming on to, what, 12 years of the Overnightscape Central, like any minute now. What, about six weeks away, seven weeks away? Who counts these things? I usually, I mean, I notice, but usually a couple weeks after or before. Uh, that I'm terrible at, like, uh, anniversary shows and those, like, zero, ones that end in zero, the eight hundredth and the five hundred no uh, uh I, I should just start celebrating well every show is great so we have that to uh cover us for our mathematical uh lacks so to speak anyways uh let us just get the ball rolling here and start things off with doc sleaze and uh anything goes here yeah, well, my car's in some free parking at the moment. Up in the, uh, up on the road, up at the top of the cliffs, while it's back from the cliffs. Oh, it's a great thing about Barton on Sea, which is where I am right now. Um, is that unlike a lot of other beaches along this stretch of the coast, it is possible to park for free or there's a, there's a long road which has residential houses on one side runs say along the cliff top and uh, you can park along on the side opposite the houses no parking restrictions that's what many of us do that's why some of us come to park and see for the free parking yeah so yeah yeah that's where i am today as I had no desire to watch the Queen's funeral because I am heartily sick and tired of having it all rammed down my throat um, and all this, oh well, you don't have to watch it, yeah but virtually every BBC channel, every ITV channel, every Sky channel a simulcast of it. So it doesn't really leave you with huge amounts of choice of things to watch. You don't want to, to watch that. So you also need to, I mean, everywhere's closed. Because, yeah, they've all been sort of pressured into closing all the big chains and things under the Well, if you don't close the things for you, you're just not being patriotic. Luckily, my local news agent, which is run by Sikhs, with far more practically minded people, was open today, so I was able to get a newspaper. But yeah, so yeah, I decided to, to go for a drive because, well, there shouldn't be too much traffic on the roads, but a lot of people have the same idea as me. Yeah. Despite what the uh, the establishment might think, not everybody 
just been engaged in this worship of the um, hereditary monarchy in this country. Yeah. And I'm just tired of all the like, uh, competitive grieving. Oh dear, I'm so upset the Queen said it. it reminds me of the time my grandfather died. Oh no, I'm more upset than you. It reminds me of the time my entire family were massacred by the Tutsi Indians. Just go away. Bottom line here is, I think it's really, really weird to be making such a fuss over the death of someone you don't know personally, you've never met, uh, not a member of your family, and I find it especially weird that you could want to watch a stranger's funeral. No one's going to move me for the fact that I think all this is like they had a thing you could follow the progress of the Queen's Coffin in Scotland. And all that filing past the Queen's Coffin in, in Westminster. It's just creepy. It's just plain creepy. No one's going to change my mind on that. So yes, this past couple of weeks, well, week and a half, it's been a time when we've all been expected to be deferential and tug to fall off and Oh, for goodness sake, you know, I'm sorry. There's a sizable minority of us who, who really think the time for kings and princes and queens is long since over. Yeah? I'm trying to explain to people, you know, it's not that I want to be disrespectful to, to the late Queen Elizabeth, but the bottom line is, my pro I mean, I have a problem with the institutional monarchy, but nothing personal against um, yeah, any of them as individuals, but set perhaps. Prince Andrews and Nantes. Um but you know, um, I guess I'm against the institution. But then again, you get people, I mean, in fact, if you protest about it, you get arrested in this country now, I mean, there's so much for free speech here. I, mean, I don't see all these free speech advocates, the right-wing ones, suddenly complaining about people about being cancelled on social media. I don't see them. Um, commenting and favouring on the fact that police are going around arresting anyone holding up a placard saying something like not my king or even on one occasion a blank piece of paper chap held up that as yeah to see what would happen and got a warning he would be arrested if he wrote anything on it uh, I just seem to remember only a few short months ago we were condemning um, Putin's regime in Russia for doing the exact same thing and saying, oh, it's an infringement on people's free speech. Now, again, uh, I might argue that it would possibly not the appropriate time to make all this protest, but there you go. Um, yeah, but yes, it's um, strange times, strange times. But they, they mean, on, on the anti-monarchist side, <clears throat> you then get these people suddenly saying, of King Charles, it's not my king. Well, actually, you don't get any choice in it. That's the whole point of the hereditary monarchy. <laughs> you don't get to vote on it. And people in Wales suddenly, nationalists and were protesting about Prince William now becoming the Prince of Wales. God, it's outrageous. Another Englishman is the Prince. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Prince of Wales is the title given. It's in the gift of the monarch to give to their eldest son. You know, if they're English, then, you know, funnily enough, <laughs> you're going to get an English Prince of Wales. Which is anyway nonsense, anyway, because there is, 
sorry, I'm going to be a pedant here. Um, this is the United Kingdom of Great Britain. There is only one nationality, since the Act of Union with Scotland, there is only one nationality you can have in this country, and that's British. English, Welsh, Scottish, North Irish. They're, they're actually ethnicities, they're merely ethnicities. So they're not nationalities. British is that you have a British passport. You know? You don't have an English, Scottish, Welsh, Northern Irish, but you have a British passport. Simple as that. We are British citizens, not English, Scottish, Welsh, etc. citizens. Then, you know, if you're going to do these protests, at least we're not sure you, you know your blood facts. <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, yeah, as I was saying, I really am against the institution of monarchy because these days it's outmoded. This is the 21st century, not the Middle Ages. But it's used to, as long as it exists, it's used to legitimise the entire structure of social class in this country and the idea that some people are born to wealth and power and the rest of us are merely serfs. Um, effectively, we have to know our place. And as long as the monarchy persists, it will be impossible to throw off that. And as long as people allow themselves to be indoctrinated, the nonsense we've seen over the past couple of weeks. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, I'm being sad after the shocking death of Queen Elizabeth II. Oh, nobody saw that coming. Struck down in 96 in the crime of life. 30 years ahead of her, you know. Ah, long boggles at this country, it really does. <laughs> but enough of that. Terrible films. To, to flip back because I'm too lazy to write anything in the comments uh, from last week's Central. Um, um, BP was talking about you, Ugandan Trump, African Trump. I must admit, I'm, I'm not uh, familiar with the whole genres of African filmmaking, although apparently it's a very rich genre with, with quite a history to it. You know, um, I mean, South African film. That's quite a history of making schlocky movies. And, um, but let's see, but I am aware because there's Nollywood, which is Nigerian filmmaking, which I'm told, um, I'm told is, is worth watching versus aficionados of terrible films. Um, they turn up a lot of, a lot of films, Nollywood. A lot of them apparently turn up on YouTube. features here, made on minuscule budgets. There you go. Uh, the slasher movie that PQ was asking about. Right. I'm not an expert on slasher movies. Um, they're not really my favourite subgenre of horror. But, but the only film I can think of offhand that involves somebody with a red dot on their forehead <laughs> wielding a knife. Um, is actually a British film. It's, it's not really a slasher film. It's from 1974 called The Ghoul, not to be confused with the Boris Karloff film from the 30s. 1974 is The Ghoul. It does its best to look like a hammer film, but it isn't. It's made by Tyburn, which is mainly staffed by people and run by people who had formerly worked for Hammer. Um, the plot involves Peter Cushing has his son locked in the attic because his son is the victim of some kind of Indian curse. Um, 
because yeah, I used to live in India and he's a cannibal. First we kept locked up in the attic of this remote house, set in the twenties, um, to stop him eating everyone. And the Indian servants basically murdered the odd passerby. <laughs> so anyway, the point is when we finally see him, if I remember rightly, he has a red dot in his forehead. Although he's, he's got a very green complexion, bilious complexion, and uh, he comes wandering out of his room finally at the end, wielding a knife. He says, Daddy! Before Peter Cushion shoots him. You spilled the film. It's interesting because um, it features um, an appearance in a supporting role from John Hurt back in the days before he already cracked it as a major film and television so it's just before the big breakthrough role in the Naked Civil Servant on television. And at that time you, he'd been around for quite since the late 60s playing supporting roles in films but he's better known as a stage actor. But you can see that he's the mad gardener. Sorry, mad, disturbed gardener, disturbed by his experiences in World War One. As I say, that's the only film I can think of that remotely fits that description. <laughs> if it isn't that one, I, I can't help you. <laughs> they say, my, my knowledge of, of slasher films isn't that brilliant. Um, problem being, they're all very samey. So, you know, after a while. When she seen this at the Halloween film, the first one was great, all the rest of there. Some are terrible. Same with Friday the 30th. First one's entertaining, the rest are just repetitions, they're just variations. Um, and they are the granddaddies of, of slashing movies, although you find precedence for them elsewhere. Um, yeah. There are some eccentricities amongst the world of slashing movies. You should also fall into the category of terrible films. Uh, night School. Night School. Um, set in and shot in Boston. It's an interesting, it's a very classy looking film and it clearly has ideas above its station <laughs> because it is just a slasher movie. Um, but it, it, it's very, it has a very sort of glossy look to it and, uh, and it's directed by the man who directed Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Ken Hughes directed it. It's one of the last films he directed. And it's, um, yeah, interesting fact here. Um, the former landlord of my local pub was Ken Hughes' nephew. There you go. <laughs> I was actually on the set was when he was a kid during the school holidays. He went down and was on the set. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. There you go. I met Dick Van Dyke. He said he was a very nice chap. Presumably when he was sober. But anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah, night school. Night school is notorious because the killer um, is dressed in biker gear and he's even doing the killings and um, has this black leather jacket and trousers on and a motorcycle helmet. Yet they're eventually revealed, I mean, to be Rachel Ward from spoiling for you again. Not, you're never going to watch this film. Uh, the problem being that the, the, the biker slasher um, 
was pretty much flat chested and Rachel Ward has knockers out to, you know, well, you know, you must have seen her. Uh, and you see a lot of them in this film. Um, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. It cheats a bit there. Night school. Yeah. It dresses its plot up with all sorts of um, anthropological nonsense to explain the murders and whatever. But it's a slash. <laughs> Not a particularly great way. It looks good. And some of the performances are quite good. Uh, the guys playing the detectives aren't bad, but you know. Nothing to write home about really. Disappoints. <laughs> yeah. And actually, actually, I saw another terrible film here the other day. I finally got round to watching all the way through Eagles Over London. The notorious Italian war movie shot in Spain. Which is, it was attempted cashing on the film The Battle of Britain, even using some of the same aircraft props. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing. I never realised how much like Spain the south of England looks. Portsmouth, I never knew, I've been to Portsmouth many times, I never noticed there are mountains in the background. <laughs> And it looks as if, like in the Dunkirk scenes, it looks as if the Rock of Gibraltar is, is visible from <laughs> the beach of Dunkirk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very, very strange thing. It's the one where the RAF appeared to be flying Messerschmitt 109s, which get attacked every something by Spitfires with swastikas on. It's, um... <laughs> it's laughably bad. There's very elaborate production values. Clearly some money was spent on it. But, you know, I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're British, then you're going to know it's historically completely inaccurate. And it looks nothing like the UK. And there's so many uh, military... Because I'm a pedant, there's lots of military anachronisms. There is no way, for instance, that British soldiers would have been using stem guns in 1940. The stem gun wasn't introduced to service until 1941. They might have had Tommy guns, but not stem guns. So there we go. Um, that's just one of the many, many military anachronisms in the film. meanders all over the place. Yes, it's, it's quite terrible. If you're a lover of terrible movies, it's quite easily available, actually. If you're a lover of terrible movies, um, again, Eagles Over London, 1969, well worth, well worth investing your time with. Not if you're a stick of historical accuracy, it is not for you. Um, yeah, quite amazing. So yeah, I'm back in land now. Um, just had a lengthy walk. Part of the forest, it's a new forest, um, it's a yew tree bottom I'm parked in a... I'm in the car because it's beginning to rain. I'm parked in another uh, car park here. More free parking! <laughs> yeah, all throughout the new forest, parking is free in the in the uh, designated car parks. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I'm the only one here, it's unusual. This is one of those car parks not many people seem to use because it's right on the edge of, of, of the forest. Quite the spectacular scenery of um, some of the others, but there you go. Yeah. 
Oh man, I, I'm I'm jazzed that we were actually able to hit an exact match of free parking here, Doc. And uh, while some may have chafed at the sounds of the sea, that was just you know being here in the desert at the sounds of the waves and giving myself the illusion that I was kind of hovering like a drone beside you. <laughs> as you uh, spoke to us of such wonders. And oh, thanks so much. I am hoping the ghoul is it. I will uh, get back to you. We will continue this uh, extended conversation on this movie with the dot and the head. Uh, and, uh, and another, uh, just added, I'm newspaper. You, 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 the people who still handle a newspaper. I mean, I try it now and then when something relative. There's just no such thing. There's an Albuquerque newspaper, the Albuquerque Journal, but it's just so. The few times I have picked it up, yeah, it's not. I grew up with the a tabloid number one, which probably just ruined me for life because most places did not have that tabloid size it was always that big unfolding massive daunting newspaper and i've enjoyed those uh but and in fact uh, my days in santa fe the santa fe new mexican was such a staple of my day and uh back growing up in the catskills Locally, I mean, I've read the Times-Herald record for years and years, but then finally, after many years, the New York Post became a vi- I don't know what, just that it was so blunt, easy, and the sports pages, uh, I think, were what really got me, because at the time that I was, you know, my teens, when I was a serious newspaper reader, I was also, yes, it's true, a sports, I, I knew all the players, baseball, basketball, hockey, uh, football, uh, I was fairly uh, parlant, uh, all the boxers, and I don't know what else, I watched those weekly programs that supposedly kept us, it basically curated sports for us and made people like Muhammad Ali a star and that's uh, the things like Wide World of Sports and CBS Sports Spectacular where they chose events and made stars out of the results of these events I mean that's really what made sports boom as a uh, entertainment form in the United States uh, otherwise it was just you know something dad did on a Sunday if there was nothing else on the TV uh, now uh, I don't know I just I even the sport that I like to watch the most which as uh, some of you know is uh, Australian rules football that to get me to sit down and watch a game uh, beginning, middle, and end, eh, I don't think that's happening. So 
there's that. But uh, newspapers, I mean, of course, you know, I would follow my grandparents' example. And, you know, when I was still living in my hometown, you read the obituaries. I Maybe you didn't know the people who died, but they were the parents or grandparents of people you knew. And I was a local businessman at the time and all the rest of it. So, uh, yeah, I you have to keep track of these things just to be functional in your uh, microcosm. I mean, you don't want to be calling up somebody who you should know has passed on's place of business and ask for them. It's just, it, 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 that, that was probably the real reason that they made obituaries in the first place. Uh, but it's hard to say. And now, from what I'm told, I'm, I don't know if this is neat, but here... Uh, I always thought that, you know, you die, that's your free inclusion in a newspaper. One time in your life, you croak, they give you a paragraph, two paragraphs on the obituary page. But uh, I have been told here in uh, Truth or Consequences, New Mexico, uh, that's not so. Uh, You actually have to pay for uh, an obituary? I, I... this is all beyond me. And uh, luckily, I'm not going off topic because uh, it's open. I could sit here and talk about toes, but I'm not going to do that. But uh, I am going to look for this, the ghoul for my pal and uh, see if this is the one that uh, they've been looking for supposedly for many years. So this is going to score me some uh, brownie points so uh, if this works out thanks doc and uh, back to you by the way so yeah yeah i was uh, before i diverted in, into terrible films back into terrible films i was talking about all this um all this palaver with the queen's funeral and everything you know today i mean i said everything closed and i, I do mean everything even filling stations were closed if you run out of petrol today or diesel in my case you've got problems uh, you know, I had to make that sure I had enough um, fuel in this car to make this journey. Um, I had to, uh, on Saturday, I went and put, put, diesel, uh, put diesel in the tank to make that sure I had enough because I knew everywhere was going to be closed today. It's absolutely incredible. I mean, some places I drove through, it's like the zombie apocalypse must have happened. It's all deserted. And <laughs> Except all the zombies are inside watching the Queen's funeral. Yeah, it's all, all very odd. Anyway, my fa- I've mentioned this before. My father was, was an absolutely ardent Republican. Uh, he, he really didn't like the monarchy. Um, for most of my life, actually, I, 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 I was indifferent to them. I could take them or leave them. But it's these past 10, 20 years, it's... Um, I don't know, it's all this fawning you over them you see on TV. You just keep thinking, you know, it's the 21st century, for God's sake. You know, oh, it really gets to me. But still see this going on. It's talking to them with reverential hushed tones and everything. Anyway, anyway, I just, when, 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 when the Queen's death was announced, I could, for a moment, I could hear my late father, you know, saying, oh, for God's sake, she could have bloody had the decency to, to pop her clogs before the bloody um, Platinum Jubilee and saved us a few million quid on that, eh? You know, now we have to pay for that 
and pay for a bloody funeral and pay for a bloody coronation for a son. <laughs> I guarantee you that's what he would have said. <laughs> yes, it's, that's the thing that came to mind when her death was announced. Um, <laughs> not shock, horror or anything like this. Oh my God, the Queen is dead. Um, yeah. Actually, I must admit, you know, people... They always ask, don't they? Do you remember where you were when X or Y happened? Yeah, sort of world-changing events. Well, if they ever ask me, what were you doing when you found when you heard of the Queen's death? I can quite honestly say I do know. I was watching Home and Away, an Australian soap opera, on television, <laughs> and it just—they didn't break into the program or anything. Um, it just happened as I was watching. I was switching on my laptop. I opened up the browser and it just happens that Firefox opens to a news page. And there it was. Um, Palace announced death of Queen Elizabeth II. I thought, bloody hell, that's a bit sudden, isn't it? Because the last time I checked on BBC One, just before I, I switched over to watch Home and Away, I just checked to see if anything momentous happened. She was still merely, merely gravely ill then. You know, that was literally minutes before. <laughs> but yeah. It was, uh, see, that's the other thing I hate. It's the media circus around these things. Oh, you see them circling like vultures. Hugh Edwards on the BBC, they're sort of, these days, he's like their flagship newsreader. Oh, and you could just see he had his black suit and black tie on in preparation. You could see the expectation in his face, thinking, oh, it's me, I'm going to be, the, I'm going to go on history as the man who announces the death of a monarch live on the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that's his immortality. Oh, Jesus Christ, you bloody ghouls and vultures. And that's been the worst thing. All the all the media people and all the hangers-on who supposedly, you know, they're insiders with the royal family telling us all their usual bollocks that they've completely made up. And, oh, Jesus, just go away, all of you. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, there you go. Um... Yes. Yes, that's the other big issue. We get. Going back to the Republicanism business and people expressing Republican sentiments at the moment uh, <laughs> being arrested uh, for holding up placards. Um, as I say, one might deem that the, the timing inappropriate, but at the same time, people have a perfect right to express their opinions, even if they are apparently at variance with the majority. Um, I think it's pretty disgraceful the, the way in which the police have dealt with them very heavy-handed and uh yeah it's, there should be more of an outcry about it. there really should and there's a valid point that, that, that quite a lot of people are making is that you know um here we are facing a in this country a cost of living crisis people are sliding into poverty it's not an exaggeration and fuel prices are through the roof and um and here we are spending millions on a state funeral for an unelected monarch who's lived a life of privilege and who is worth billions. And indeed, her son has now succeeded her and is king and he inherits all her wealth in addition to his own. He doesn't have to pay inheritance tax and um, that's avoided um, because he's the monarch. And oh, and you think, oh, great, you know, 
it's a valid point to criticise that, but you're not allowed to at the moment. I saw the New York New York Times, was it, get criticised? Oh, outrageous anti-British. But no, that's all they said was a time of, <laughs> of cost of living crisis in the UK. Doesn't it seem, a, isn't it a bit strange spending millions on a, on state fume? Um, which I thought is a fair enough comment. There you go. That's what that's what journalism is meant to do. Speak truth to power. Except when the Queen dies in this country. <laughs> but there you go. The Queen is dead, along with the King. All of that. Yeah. So surely the currency will change to show King Charles instead of the Queen Elizabeth. Well, the post boxes will change over time, so they all say ER, Elizabeth Regina. And they have to change to CR, Charles Rex. Mind you, when it comes to the currency, it takes a long, it takes decades for currency change. I remember as late as the early 1990s, there were still a two shilling and one shilling pieces in circulation because they were equivalent to the decimal 5p and 10p pieces and some of them as late as the 90s still had the head of George VI on the back and he died in 1952 so yeah they were they were actually early 50s issues were still in circulation at that point they came out of circulation of course with all the other shilling and two shilling pieces when they changed the size and design of the 5p and 10p pieces both became smaller pound shrinking you see but uh, yeah there you go say la vie say la vie yeah we'll have to get used to it now saying you know god save the king and all not that i ever say that but <laughs> king charles the third well I can't say that the previous two King Charles has exactly um, covered themselves with glory. The first one had his head cut off after prompting a civil, losing a civil war with, with Parliament. And uh, the second one, his son, of course, was, was known for being incredibly profligate and virtually bankrupting the country with his extravagant spending. And, and you know, and shagging um, orange sellers. Nell Gwynn was one of his paramours. Failed to provide a male heir. Uh, a legitimate male heir, uh, Duke of Monmouth, of course, claimed to be the illegitimate son of Charles II, and did indeed launch his rebellion to try and seize the crown unsuccessfully. Yeah, he failed to produce a, a legitimate male heir, which meant that his brother, James II, took the throne, and James II was a very bad king, because he was basically, although king of England and therefore head of the uh, Church of England, was actually... A Catholic, he practiced Catholicism, and um, yeah, and eventually was ousted. And his son-in-law, William of Orange, was uh, put in his place. <laughs> oh, there's a squirrel running around in front of the car with inside of me. I suppose, uh, yeah, I suppose the time of year they're gathering nuts. Although he seems to be eating everything. <laughs> It's rather than gathering it. Uh, <laughs> uh, they get everywhere, squirrels. 
some I see them in my back garden they, they come across the main road from the, uh, from the park across the road from where my house is the fuddle the cat local cats who don't actually know what they are they, they, they seem to think they might be some sort of rat but you know the tails are wrong you know they just give them that sort of look as cats do <laughs> yeah i think i should be wary of this because i'm not quite sure what it is it might bite <laughs> but yes but there you go yeah so what have we done yeah we've done we don't I've, I've done it yeah i've done the uh, i've done the i've done the death of the queen the funeral etc etc you know covered it all the current issues covered actually as a final thought on all this i like for, for many people i like many people in the uk um queen elizabeth ii was on the throne so long she, that until her death she was the only monarch we knew she'd be monarch all my life never known another monarch uh, and now i'm on to my second one with charles iii but my mother is 91 and we counted that the other day and it is it, oh there's two squirrels one chasing the other obviously territorial dispute and uh charles the third is a is her fifth fifth monarch because when she was born george the fifth was still on the throne then he died and was briefly succeeded by edward the eighth who then abdicated in fate and george his brother george the sixth replaced him it's three then there was Queen Elizabeth, four, and now Charles III, five. So my mother's seen five five monarchs in her time. There you go. Ah. <laughs> Beat that. I bet there is someone out there. <laughs> Actually, I don't think there's anybody alive old enough. No, there isn't. Um, to, <laughs> to have been born in the reign of Edward VII, who was the king before George V. So, yeah. So nobody, so yeah, yeah, even if someone was, was over a hundred, they still wouldn't remember as many, they wouldn't have lived under as many monarchs as my mum has. Ah, <laughs> so there you go, final thought on the subject, and on that note, I'll say back to you, PQ. Thank you, Doc, and yeah, uh, wow, five monarchs, spooky. This, I, I, you know, being an observer from way over here, the royalty thing always fascinated me, especially once I found out, like, some of the little detail that they, you know, you know, you think when you're a kid that the king and queen are the king and queen, and then you find out they just sort of do this and that, and they're fabulously wealthy, and they have something to do with that city of London, which is a whole other topic that I'm not gonna, if you know what it is, great, if not, well, there's a rabbit hole for you, but um, I... You know, by late teens, of course, there was all the Sex Pistols stuff and the Jubilee, and I guess the economy over there wasn't so good. So it was this whole negative uh, vibe. And and you kind of thought, oh, wow, that queen, uh, there's no future. Boy, she just persisted. What was that, 1977? So that's 45 more years, something like that. That's, that's 
pretty reasonable for uh, somebody telling you there's no future for you. Well, hey, and 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 I did, I don't know if I mentioned this. I, I did the queen. She was to, to me. I had no uh, really attached affection or hate or anything. She was kind of cute there in her little colored uniforms, being old and waving. And uh, I don't know. I never really formed a full opinion. But I saw an obviously staged photo the other day uh, of her and the drummer of Pink Floyd, Nick Mason. Now, in World War II, they made the queen, you know, they let the royals have to serve, and she served during World War II in the military, and she actually learned, theoretically and supposedly, how to fix jeeps and vehicles. So there's this photo of her and Nick Mason of Pink Floyd uh, with tools in their hands leaned over one of nick mason's fancy sports cars and they both have the i mean nick mason i'm sure was chuffed beyond measure with this big grin and even she looked like she was having a good time tinkering around and looking at this fancy automobile so yeah that gave me the closest thing to an affectionate feeling towards the queen and uh, Charles, Charles is just strange from his fandom of Spike Milligan, which I admire very much. There's a film of him doing uh, a goon show imitation back in the 50s when he was a young man that uh, is rather striking and resonates with me. But I mean, it just... Uh, I think he expected things to move along a lot faster, and I don't think his life quite turned out. I mean, the whole Princess Die thing and Camilla, I, I only know, like, the, I've heard the fourth-hand stories over here in Yankeeville, but I don't. It, it's all too rich for me. Even though I've read, like, the gossipy stuff about the royals, it's just... It's somebody else's, I, I guess, well, the world, really, they've adopted Trump, and Trump lives in everybody's head. But, uh, no, I have to say the royals have never really taken a uh, spot in my brain deeply. Uh, contemporary ones. I've, I've studied, you know, the history of the monarchy, which is a whole great tale of intrigue and uh, probably a lot of fictionalized, uh, gummed up stuff. But, oh man, that's just so juicy. It's like a, an extended, a little cleaner I, Claudius. So I can go along with that just about any time. And um, yeah, we are, uh, we, we got Chad Bowers here uh, to play for you and listen to together. And uh, I probably should because I'm just a driveling along here. So, uh, yeah, here, here's Chad. You're the kind of adventuresome spirit that loves nothing more to walk amongst the endless buffet at night on a Royal Caribbean super cruiser. Ice sculptures, fruit baskets, endless selections, hot and cold. You demand more from a bank 
We give it to you. We're the bank with toasters. Every $100 you put in, we're going to build a toaster for someone in another country. And we're going to send that toaster to them. And then when you put another $100 in, we're going to build another toaster and send it to somebody else. Well, I guess um, I was kind of hoping to put the money somewhere where, uh, you know, it could do a little more good than that. And that just sounds minimal to me. What what uh, interest rate, for instance, are you going to pay for my, uh, my money? Well, sir, I'm glad you brought that up because interest rates, well, we don't pay them at all. Instead, what we're going to do, we're going to make a new version of this toaster, the one that we give away for every $100. Only now, every $200 you put in, we send a solar-powered toaster to somebody somewhere else. Yeah, but uh, two problems. There's a lot of people real close by that are in need. And every action to truly germinate and and grow like a tree has to be local. Because you have to have somewhere for those seeds of goodness to spread and plant. If everyone is always focused on some nebulous other... Well, even if you give a lot of money, there's no community. You're all separated. You don't really exist. So, you know, hyper-local, that's, uh, that's what's important to me in a bank and interest. And suckers, you know, the flavored ones with the safety loop in them. In case one of those uh, handles were to break loose, I still got the other one, you know. There's less chance of uh, driving through and accidentally swallowing that sucker. Well, let me ask you this question. Are you the type of person that would go to the Grand Canyon and look out amongst its many wonders and say to yourself, My God, I cannot believe this was man-made. Or are you more likely just to be in awe and say something to represent such? Well, I'd like to think I'd be the uh, the type of man Chevy Chase was. He's been a wonderful guide to me. Movies such as Caddyshack, quite ill one time, brought a VCR in to watch Caddyshack, among other things, over and over. I had quite a collection of VHS tapes. So there's a hospital, and uh, you know, the nurses come in to check on things and ask if I wanted other tape put in. So watched a lot of movies, which was, uh, you know, that's pretty cool. You know, I, that's an upside about um, being in the hospital. Well, Mr. Chad, then. Is it safe to say that you would like a bank that would do something nice for you in case you go into a hospital again? Yeah, yeah, I guess it uh, would not hurt. For instance, if those uh, safety suckers we were talking about, if my doctor could maybe just write a prescription for it, you know, we could put... 
I don't know. What's something good, like cocaine in them or something? Hmm, this is an excellent point. Now, the United Nations has policies against such things. Yes, yes, but they also have blue Jeeps and blue and white uniforms. I've seen it on TV. It must have been the 1960s. That's true, Mr. Chad. Do, do you think that this bank could represent you as your bank? Is there a hundred dollars you could put in and let us send one of these fine toasters to someone somewhere far away, somewhere else? Do you have the, uh, the lemon and the apple and the cherry flavored uh, sucker, say like a three pack? Yes, sir, we do. Well, you know what, man? I um, Let's just do it. Let's close the deal, you know? You are uh, an interesting flashlight found in this tunnel that we seem to be somewhere under the Andes Mountains within. I think I need a dinner mint. Clark Drysdale played the part of the banker. And Wilhelm Huddle Huddle Huddleham played the part of Chad. This has been brought to you by Rinso, the detergent with solium. I really enjoy those frozen waffles from uh, Eggo. We've got these... Uh, sugar coated and I think they call them their Bavarian waffles they're they're not the iconic ego round smashed puck it's more of a uh, three-dimensional affair they're quite good they go very well with good butter and good honey now, good honey is hard to find because it depends on where you are located. You know, you've got to find a, uh, a honey master that is within your area feeding his bees upon the foliage that encircles you and the spiritual energy from this pollen collected, clarified, made for royalty. You know, Prince Charles is uh, now King Charles. And some people say, well, I don't know if he's ready for it. But what they don't realize is that, uh, you know, the last 70 years or so, he's been suckling on that royal honey slowly slowly so God save uh, the king and uh, I stand with Athelstan's man as a proud mobilian long live King Charles the main thing to keep in mind is uh, eating the honey on these Eggo waffles with the Bavarian variation applied to them, which uh, 
must consist of some three-dimensional logic because it's uh, not the pressed fiberboard puck that you might be accustomed to if you're, say, having breakfast uh, in prison. Now, these are worthy of eating, young man, eating them and heading west to claim your fortune. You will enjoy it. But you know all about this spiritual energy that the uh, pollen creatures carry about to and fro, right? I mean, you've heard the theory. I guess we all have the, uh, the external processing of consciousness, sort of the uh, universal consciousness that we can all tap into behind the scenes on the other side or somehow connected yet completely separate. It's a point of view thing, I suppose. Point of view. P-O-V. Yeah, there's a point of view. Very interesting term in astronomy. You know, you got your point of view and your relative motions. It's not so easy, you know. You're all moving in different directions and different velocities. The light cone that you are within at any given point, from any perspective, that's going to judge, change. But I'm glad that James Webb can overcome these distances with its uh, ability to read types and concentration of gases and stars that are 8 billion, 10 billion. I think they've found up to 13 or 14. They've, they've stretched sort of the oldest star recorded uh, just recently. And, uh, you know, it's just... It's just uh, light speed, right? But it's at the speed of light. You know, so you, unless you could escape, you have to, uh, you have to, like, have enough energy to, uh, to get yourself out of this space or form some type of bubble around yourself. You know, the problem with moving at the speed of light is, uh, is that your mass not just becomes great, but it becomes infinite. And your um, experience of time not only becomes incredibly slowed compared to your other view of time, which itself must exist from at least a third from whatever's outside of this event we're all participating in. Yeah, it's so tempting to think that, oh, well, uh, you know, everything started from nothing. And the nothing just expanded into everything. It's The problem comes in in that we cannot conceive of nothing. Nothing is not something that can actually be proven in any sense by science. 
you can't observe, you can't speculate, you uh, you just have no evidence, you have no witness, you have no murder weapon. Yeah, we just can't conceive of nothing, and therefore there would be no way to observe it, and the very idea of it would be a uh, you know a fallacy of logic. It's uh, that seems to be the ultimate indication that there is somewhere else. That and many other implications of light speed, I tell you, looking into time travel and light speed leads to a lot of places where, uh, you know, you can't, you can no longer avoid a, uh, another place. Yeah. Control room, thousands of vials, uh, each vial billions of life forms, perhaps existing in different time frames all at once, multiple planets, Earth's artificial moon with a dwarf star at its center, powering enormous energies to deflect particles away from our planet so that life could develop here. The moon and the sun being relatively the same size and by the orbits the eclipses that would occur were the first signs to the life forms that someone was trying to tell them there was something else they told stories by the fire but you know that's just how stuff goes right that's just the way it is these days. These days? 1800s, 1700s, 1500s, you know? You think about these uh, civilizations, you know, the Native American Indians, they uh, existed for 10,000 plus years. I used to work uh, in downtown Montgomery, and there was the Alabama Indian Affairs Council, which takes care of all the efforts of Alabama tribes. It's kind of neat working in Montgomery for a while, right after college. Just because it was a capital city. And I guess it's like local news, local radio that I was working in. It gave one the sense that you were doing real radio business, you know. The... Some of the things that uh, may still exist in some form, I just don't know. I would imagine they would all be done uh, digitally, but, you know, I was right out of college, like the fourth employee of uh, Cool 104.3 FM WQLD in Montgomery. Uh, they were owned by Deep South Broadcasting. And uh, that sign was taken down shortly after I joined. And uh, we were purchased by a relatively cool company. Uh, yeah, it was Capstar. And then, uh, at some point later, it was uh, purchased again. It may have been Clear Channel, which we quickly uh, 
realized deserved the moniker cheap channel. It was, uh, you know, it was sort of like being in the last days of a of a great industry and. I guess as someone that always liked being part of the stage crew and theatrical events and, you know, was an office assistant in high school, uh, was an office assistant in uh, middle school, was an office assistant in elementary school. Uh, I was also a crosswalk patrol man. I had a, uh, an orange belt and a, a metal badge, and uh, I did take it very seriously. My dad had... Um, I guess with his military experience and had talked to me, you know, basically was telling me, you know, with the badge, I had been commissioned to perform a task and I, I tried to go beyond my bounds. I, uh, there was this kid that was sneaking into the, uh, the girl's bathroom and, and so like I nabbed him, you know, I wouldn't let him go and I struck him, uh, kind of towards the office and and, and the teachers and other people you know came because of uh, obviously something was afoot in the uh, hallway but yeah I you know I I didn't know I was just a kid you know trying to do a good job but uh, anyway that that became I think it was funny to a lot of people in Maybe I earned the name uh, Mr. McBowwow at the time, and I don't exactly remember when that started, but probably sixth grade. Yeah, Mr. McBowwow was, I guess it must have been first period, or, or maybe instead of going to a homeroom, maybe I went to office assistant. But it seemed like, yeah, it was the morning, because we were always processing, like, the... Uh, the big deal was to get the sheet printed up of all the kids who had legitimately called in sick today. Other daily memo items to be shared to, to all the teacher. And, you know, one of the older ladies at the time would, at a manual typewriter, or electric typewriter, like an IBM uh, type, a uh, professional typewriter heavy metal machine that had uh, IBM typewriter repairmen who would come visit to service the machine. Not just when it broke, but service the machine. You know, this would be, I guess if you converted for inflation, it'd probably be about $5,000, you know. Specialized machine, you know, absolutely necessary for business. And one of the other pieces that uh, was crucial was the spirit duplicator. And the lady would type up this form, this long form, on this monstrous electric typewriter. Pow, pow, you know, it's like hit it. And these three layers, perhaps two, no, three. There was the layer she was typing on, and then there was heavy carbon paper. And then on the third layer was what you would insert into the spirit duplicator. The physical impact of the type head, the ball in that case, that IBM typewriters use, Selectric system, 
when that would impact that layer of carbon, and not really, you know, carbon's the blank, uh, you know, common term for it. It's proprietary formulas for each brand of spirit duplicator. But that would be impacted onto that sheet that would be used to process the copies. And they would put this, uh, you know, very wonderful fluid in there. Spirit duplicator fluid. It came in very cool looking black metal, perhaps quartz, more in the style of, uh, you know, largest whiskey uh, you could imagine a wino shoving down his front pocket. Yeah, the uh, point being this cool metal can, black label, white letters, IBM, IBM logo, spirit duplicator fluid, 16 ounces. Uh, yes, Dolly, I've corrected. Thank you, darling. The, um, end result was this machine had this this wonderful spirit in it you know the uh, spirit duplicator fluid and uh, of course it was very uh, highly evaporative smelled wonderful you've smelled it you've smelled the results but yeah those things would be uh, kind of on the damp side you know when they first come off the machine must have had some chemical in it that kept them from sticking together. But my deal was, is that I was able to visit every single classroom in the school every day, you know, and interact with the teacher in each one. And, and that had just served me so well in elementary school. Because literally, you, you know, if you, if you just play their game a little bit, right, you can get away with murder and and have them uh, actually think it's funny you know at the same time entertain them right we are in a zoo after all so you need these uh, entertainment diversion devices to make the prison population happy frank edward norris said that yeah it's like come off wet damn but anyway i go into each classroom you know I, and i found like, i I had this spotlight for a second, and I seriously wanted to be Johnny Carson at the time. I had a joke book, right? I think I've talked about this before. All the uh, weekly reader materials that I would receive, courtesy of uh, Xerox Corporation, who replaced the spirit duplicators. In all of our lives, it was a revolutionary transformation the ability to create copies instantly without having to type them into some type of machine made for typesetting or into some machine that uh, would be using carbon paper in multiple layers to uh, you know, generate a form that could be picked up with this chemical reaction. I, I wonder uh, if we could learn a little bit about uh, that chemical reaction.
So anyway, I would tell a joke each day, you know, in each class. And uh, that was uh, that was just wonderful to me. You know, you got to, um, you know, find a dumb joke. What the vampires do at midnight? They take a coffin break. A mummy said, what's wrong with TV dinners? The other mummy looked at him blankly. They don't come with a TV. Oh, yes, wonderful. Wonderful madness of youth. And I can remember the telephones being uh, these black telephones you're thinking of, you know, with the, the standard AT&T Bell set. But uh, modernized, you know, it was touch tone. Dodge Elementary was a... Oh, and then Hillsdale Middle School. Now that was... Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, that was interesting, you know. It was Mobile... I don't know. I get the, I get the feeling it was a pretty horrible school, you know, in retrospect. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I remember this one teacher there, Mrs. Johnson, who, uh, you know, would fall asleep uh, reading. It was like a literature class. And that was cool because we could just read whatever we wanted, you know, in that time period, or play Pac-Man on our wristwatch. And then I guess it wasn't long after that that uh, I became sort of like the go-to AV person, you know, for setting up TVs and VCRs and uh, 16 millimeter films. I think the last 16 millimeter film probably would have been in a high school science class. Um, not not that it would have been out of date or anything, the information contained, but I think the uh, teacher at the time thought it was like, you know, one of the finest films on the subject. It was one of those 1960s films sort of produced in cooperation with the space race, you know, funded through... Um, through those efforts. There were some really high quality, particularly if you're learning the basics of chemistry. Oh man, those were the days, right? Yeah, and then high school, I, uh, my brother had been in the stage crew, which works with the drama department, the, uh, pretty much every department. You know, you, you get to interact with all the other uh, kind of groups from the pep rallies every week, like all the uh, football players and then all the cheerleaders and uh, and you actually get to build things you know off hours with them get to know them as real people rather than the uh, oh I don't know what what did they seem like before you know they seemed like some kind of uh, you know almost uh, almost gods right from the mind of a of an eight-year-old coming to uh, no sorry an eighth grader uh, matriculating into the uh, the ninth grade, the first year of high school in the system that I participated in. Yeah, you're in high school, man, and you're, you know, you're like 14 years old or something. You're still kind of 
playing for G.I. Joe men, practically. Building forts, uh, you know, shooting things with your pellet gun. Uh, yeah, it was confusing. Interesting time, right? All these changes, and then you're thrown into a whole new school system, you know? All this uh, big place, Murphy High School, was the size of a, of a college. It was all built in early 1900s in the Spanish colonial style. That is beautiful stucco, thick walls, and a red tiled roof. You know, wonderful big auditorium with a balcony. Probably 2,500. You know, you could sit in there in nice, nice quality chairs, good quality new drapes. So. So yeah, Mur Murphy was the exact opposite of Hillsdale. Hillsdale is probably one of the worst schools in the uh, West Mobile school system. But whereas Murphy, I think, has kind of gone to shit now. But it was uh, a presidential list of top ten high schools in the nation in 1985. So it, you know, it was really up there. Uh, several. My teachers, you know, were doctorates, so that's something that I, I can't imagine being even possible in uh, public school, you know, in Mobile now, and it's very, very sad to say, but, uh, you know, I think, thankfully, I think this whole uh, system is about to be turned on its head by the internet, you know, it's still not caught up. A lot of catch-up to do. A lot of, you know, you need a lot of services too. That's going to be the salvation of it all. Is that we can all do little things for each other to make uh, each other's lives more pleasant. I could bring you bananas twice a day. But yeah, getting to know all the teachers, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes. You know, I mean, you're you're painting things and building things and. Uh, you know, you're setting the mic up and the principal's doing a dry run. And and then when you do get in trouble, you know, for going off campus or something. Well, you've been off campus with half the administrators anyway uh, during productions or getting ready for Panther Spirit Week or getting, uh, you know, getting ready for the big production of Panther Spirit Night. Uh, you know, Battle of the Bands um, had a, a full schedule of you know, really large-scale musicals from Greece. Uh, you know, we did the classic high school Greece where you had the, um, someone brings in a nice 57, you know, primo shined up uh, convertible car of some type. And then you have the scrim, and on the scrim you would project from behind the drive-in movie, you know. And we did 42nd Street, um, just massive efforts on these, uh, you know, these productions, and then traveling productions would come through. And I guess since we had a really nice auditorium, some other schools, younger schools, would come visit when these touring productions would come through. And so when that happened, you know, that was another excuse to be at a class all day. So you got to, you know, you got to, to know everybody. Uh, you know, so Miss Sparkman gets mad at you for. Uh, you know, sneaking off campus again, you know, this is something that um, was an art at Murphy. <laughs> I think it was, I think it was more of a political art, uh, art as I, 
as I'd figured out. But that was um, that was a wonderful lesson in life that it's uh, you know it's all about the relationships. You know, someone at work doesn't want to know necessarily that you're working right now. You know what they what they want is to know that you give a damn. You know that's uh, that's kind of an important thing, and uh, and it's just uh, it's just it seems to have fallen off a cliff. You know, I I don't think it's uh, Mike's generation. I think it's uh, people that did not know the world at all, you know, pre-iPhone. Because there's, you know, there's pre-internet and there's pre-iPhone. And uh, the iPhone really changed things. Having all of that in your hand all the time. I think looking back, you know, that's that's when the internet really uh, started to take over, you know, everything of our lives. Now, we need another internet. We need a free, open source, you know, internet. And even if you kept the data rate really low, you know, just so everybody could share text, let's say, like a, you know, reestablish a modern take on the text networks and forums and, and user groups and lists. All right. I got to feed the dogs, man. I'll be back. You know, I'm playing this game on Switch where I'm a string. And uh, I think it's called Thread or Yarn. It's um, really beautiful. It's got a very fairy world, realistic uh, view of the world. And then the thread of the little guy. You know, you're a, you're a little red character and you're a little blue character. And... You're connected by thread. You're just all made of thread. I think I might have uh, toast with jelly for dinner. It's been a rough day on the old stomach. I've got some really good jelly in there. It's uh, fig jelly with orange blossom. Uh... I don't know if the orange blossoms are macerated and folded into the mixture. Maybe they boil it all, you know. You ever made jelly? Or been part of a, of a house where jelly was being made? My grandmother made jelly. She called it putting up. She put up jelly. Man, what a packed cellar she used to have. All manner of vegetables and big jars. It's like when you're young and you see old people, you realize that they're from a different world. But then when you're old, you realize you're living in a different world. Or that you've lived in worlds that are slowly becoming more defined. You know, in the... In the moment, day-to-day, certainly, it blends together so well. But then, five, ten years, another five years for some perspective, 
And all of a sudden, you can tell a difference in the culture that existed in that first five years and the second five years. And then when you get many decades in, you start looking back and you can more clearly in your mind separate things into periods and ideas and you know you got all this entertainment from the 20th century to catch up on and then you look around and and you see a kid show or something and or a young person show like their version of 90210 you know and there's just all these different little things and They are, uh, for the most part, surface-level things. The same battle, you know, has been going on for 10,000 years. This same, uh, the growing pains, leaving your mother's side and being socialized in a public setting. and Then post-education, finding some form of way to make money for yourself. You know, this is, this whole human story is not, new not new not new at all or we don't know we don't know i do enjoy doc's interpretation of the old testament i think he is uh, so right on and i'd make him pope if i could because because of uh people that started religions and mega churches and there's all manner of things which obscure the uh you know the message within the old testament and the new testament but mostly the old testament i don't know so much about the new testament i mean i know the general idea you know but that's that's kind of like a sentence or a paragraph and well, I don't guess I really know the Old Testament either. But I know how it begins. I did that play in high school, the Adam and Eve. Where Adam and Eve is like a you know, two person just talking for the most part. I'm making food for Ziggy. I feed him I hand feed my dog Ziggy, who I believe is the uh embodiment of Snoopy, I think. In my mind, my Ziggy is the real and true Snoopy Dog. Have you watched those new uh, Peanuts cartoons on the uh, Apple TV? They're surprisingly well done. I was so enjoying them last night. Watched them with Ziggy a little bit. Yeah, I need to go light on the dinner tonight. Maybe toast and some of that fancy jelly Laura got me. So you know, I was uh, I was craving that, you know, just the uh, old kind of style that, well, I guess I grew up with like Roman meal and, uh, and then the sunbeam white bread toast for when you wanted that. I was never um, really one of those... Uh, what do you call it? What was the one that was so popular? You know, the Bobby raced for it. The uh, Will Ferrell movie with the race car. The Bonanza Bread. Wonder Bread. 
you know, that was a big deal in America. But for us, if it was white bread, it was Sunbeam white bread. It was very delicious in a toaster. And now the only one I find at a store, like at Target or something, is called Nature's Own. I don't suppose that uh, local bakeries still bake the bread. You know, you don't smell it anywhere. Remember when you'd go buy Smith's Bakery in Mobile? This supplied most of the mass market bread for all of Alabama, if not uh, some of the neighboring states as well. One person told me that they walked up there one night. This is like a you know apocryphal type legend story. This is always a person they knew, you know. There's no one. I've never met the person. But they walked up there, and uh, I guess they got past the guard shack and got into the the building, and they were just kids exploring, you know, breaking and entering. Uh, Spelunking industrial compounds. Industrial compounds spelunking. Yeah. They uh, walked up. One of the workers came outside having a smoke break, talked to him, and went back in, came back out, and uh, brought them a fresh, like fresh out of the oven, unsliced loaf of Smith's white bread. Had this little girl on the, on the cover with like a like a blue frilly desk like a, a mobile alabama azalea trail made you know yeah it's a good bread and the tail of this stuff being fresh is almost like the melt in your mouth donuts from crispy cream when the hot donut sign is on treasured memory going to crispy cream with my father's father when my grandfather would come to mobile he loved Krispy Kreme donuts. They they didn't have those in Connecticut, so it was a a treat for him. And he'd come stay for a few weeks. Always drove a huge station wagon. He liked those big station wagons. The bigger, the better, with wood grain preferably. Uh, yeah, he was prepared, man. He had uh, all manner of jacks and tools in the back and. Uh, you know, extra antifreeze and a jug to pee in. You know, he's just he's got everything right, just in case. Not it's just be, it's something about being prepared, which uh, was a big deal. You know, growing up, I guess my dad that learned it, and but also the military background. And I was always such a sloppy kid. You know, like I'm definitely a messy Marvin, and uh, definitely all over the place. You know, strange. Uh, imaginative child really hilarious times laughing our butt off with my brother just being silly and funny the stranger the better you know and if only we could record some of those days but the memory of going to uh, the Krispy Kreme you know it's probably like let's say one of the last times would have been around 1985 but the the 70s or sorry, the 1950s sort of turquoise laminate countertops and the chrome accessories and the little stands that held the implements holding sugar and the creamer container, you know, what I have this little bar back 
metal bars that would be affixed to the counter on the bar so that you wouldn't knock the things over into the cooking area, you know. And I had the big donut machine going. This was uh, one of the Krispy Kremes that supplied the other Krispy Kremes in an area. The way it would work would be in a city of any size, you would have a main Krispy Kreme, and then you might sell, add a few satellite Krispy Kremes, and you'd make everything at the big one. And then through the day, your delivery trucks would be delivering to stores that carried your donuts, but also delivering to the other Krispy Kreme stores. Watching the donuts being made. This whole long process, this wall of glaze covering them entirely. Drinking milk, chocolate milk, with fresh hot donuts that melt in your mouth. That's what these two teenagers in the story discovered with the Smith's Bakery white bread. That worker came out and gave them that fresh, unsliced loaf. And it was lighter than if, if it had been filled with helium. It was so hot and good. Then the person gave them a stick of butter and said, put this inside, because it was still warm enough to melt the butter all through this delicious bread. They said it was the butteriest, tastiest thing that they had put in their mouth since Paula Dean. Although it happened 30 years before her. But still, that's how it goes. <laughs> you done, buddy? All right. I think Ziggy has completed his eating ritual. <laughs> I bid you adieu until soon later. The Incredible True Facts of Space, Presento, The Alternate History of Computer, Comfort, Style and Population Control of the Dead. Titfos will guide you into the small vortex ponds within the heat death transition anomaly. A small snack of Pop-Tarts and chocolate milk will be served. Our generous sponsors at ITT Mirror and the Mitre Corporation demand obedience. I remember when Dick Van Dyke had a beard. The sculptor strives for purity in line, shape and mass. The ultimate objective is a well-defined visual image, striking a mood which touches all of the senses, for purity in line, shape, and mass, which set a mood of elegance and formality. Begin a new era in sophisticated refinement. Aerodynamically restyled, which set a mood of... feature an even richer appearance to define an even greater degree of luxury and special acoustical treatments. With more color choices than ever. A newly designed 60-40 split notchback feature a sleekly designed instrument panel. And special accent stripes and custom two-tone paint treatments which give you more choice than ever. And here's great news. Eros, the Earth people are getting closer to that which we fear. Since they will not listen or respect our existence, they cannot help but believe our powers when they see their own dead walking around again, brought about by our advancement in such things. As soon as you have enough for the dead recruits, 
march them on the capitals of the earth, let nothing stand in your way. Their own dead will be used to make them accept our existence and believe in that fact. Designed to meet the new challenges of the new circumstances of our age. The 300 is for online, real-time users. The 300 is for multi-programming users. The 300 has time-sharing capabilities. The 300 is for the business management community that must have, at long last, the increased throughput at less cost that is a business imperative today more than ever before. And sculpted for the time. More than the ever before. objective is a well-defined visual image. More than ever before. a mood which touches More all of the senses. More than ever before. More than ever before. Throughput. That's what we've been needing. Oh, man, it's essential. We'll have to get in touch with the incredible true facts of space at once and implement a whole new program. Oh, I'll just see. I got a business card somewhere for a Mr. McBow Wow. Oh, yeah, he used to sell us ditto machines, didn't he? Oh, man, those dittos. I, I, I drew little comic books and always got in trouble for drawing them when I should have been paying attention in class, that sort of thing. And finally, some teacher came up with the great idea. Oh, they gave me, you know, the ditto forms that Chad was speaking of and said, hey, yeah, here, uh, let's, you can make your own comic book. And I had, I didn't plan things or write things ahead. I just did them as I went. And this whole thing of, it's this is not drawing with a pen or a pencil on a piece of paper, dear friends. This is like carving this line image into, yeah, and uh, suffice to say, from the way I'm putting it. Nobody took like the extra time to say, wait a minute, when you're using this, well, I probably was going so fast that you couldn't stop me and explain anyways. Uh, I was a hyperkinetic little uh, guy. And uh, perhaps somebody, I, I will not say that somebody did not try to sit me down and explain that things had to be simplified and planned ahead but yes that was a disaster and oh and i miss uh, you talking about it was just making me want to run out somewhere and find some that awful white fluffy white bread that somehow I got programmed into thinking it was like almost toxic. I mean, it may have no nutritive value, but there are things that I eat, I'm sure, every day that are a lot worse for a human being. And the idea of just white toast with butter sounds so... Oh, you, you want to talk about a lost comfort food coming back home or something? Yeah, I uh, tomorrow we're going to have to fire up that old toaster oven, which I believe uh, was a housewarming gift from Tifos uh, Industries. If I, it, it, it is the industrial model. And yeah, and some nice butter. 
Ooh, yeah, this this could be good. But I, I thank you for that uh, mind worm, so to speak. And and you also brought back that memory. My dad, uh, one of my my folks split up uh, when I was about probably eleven to fourteen. My visitation time with him was his Saturday that he spent all day running an arcade in the Orange Plaza shopping mall. Uh, Just fun, it was called. And every week for lunch, because it was the closest restaurant, I'm assuming, I'm not sure why, but even though there were all these other places to eat and all this other food available in the mall, we always would go to Friendly's, which was a chain. They were basically based on, you know, your hamburger and shake. And uh, they served ice cream and Sundays was their thing. And other than that, it was sort of a pre-Denny's. Well, there were Denny's back then, don't get me wrong. But that kind of menu, that all-American, you know, grilled cheese sandwiches and cheeseburgers and frankfurters and, uh, yeah, the shakes, that that was the thing, boy, and fraps. And, yeah, they had their own brand of ice cream, and that was the thing. uh, Oh, man, is is there still such a thing even as friendlies? I don't know, but they were malls all over the northeast when i was coming up and sitting there with pop uh, i i don't know i i just i w- i was so pleased to be associated with my father he was just he seemed to be that kind of guy that everybody liked or something so he was a good role model for me i think for all of this stuff and uh yeah throughput that's what we all need in this uh hard world and uh, thank you chad for that and moving we we are moving because we still have frank edward nora and who know that this is so far this has been so great and uh, it can only get better from here right and by the way don't go anywhere i i, I just realized that we still have Dave in Kentucky to uh, deal with here. So uh, we got a lot more to get to. Don't you you just, I mean, if you need to pause and take a break, you mark your spot and don't go away and not come back. Don't miss this. Welcome to the Weird Balcony. Yes, I'm here in Chattanooga, Tennessee at the Dwell Hotel on East 10th Street. Apparently this, this, um, uh, building was built in 1909 as a hotel and uh, this room I'm in here uh, has this balcony in it and, and, and apparently it had a beautiful view in the past but apparently at some point I was asking the guy at the front desk he said that the um, at some point the building got became abandoned it was not a hotel anymore it was just an abandoned building and they were going to tear it down And so someone built this building next door sort of blocking the view and uh, but they maintained when it came back to life as a as a uh, as a hotel again they just put up this this sort of vinyl screen and there's a little roof area between this building and the next building and then you can look into this this guy's apartment apparently he's the uh, the son of the people that owned the building next door he lives there but there's it's weird there's all this like 
just furniture piled up and an old globe. It doesn't even look like someone's living there, but I guess someone is. It's just in, in a state of transition or something. So I like this, and you can see a little patch of sky. Oh, look, it's dawning. It's, uh, it's Monday morning here. The dawn is dawning. There's some pink clouds. Uh, again, just a light blue sky. And Oh, there's the moon. I do see a crescent moon up there, too. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. You know, do you ever notice how, as the, with the change of the seasons and how the length of the day changes, even though you've gone through this many times before, depending how many years you've lived, it always seems like shocking and new that it's getting light so late or dark so early or whatever. It's almost like we live day by day, which we do, I suppose. Day by day, oh dear Lord, these things I say. No, this is not Broadway, this is Chattanooga. So yeah, we've been having a, an incredible trip here. It's uh, really wild, and it's not over yet. We're going to the airport today, but before that, we're going to head over to Alabama. I've only been to Alabama once for a few minutes back in 1998, but now I'm going to head into the state and go to the uh, unclaimed baggage where all the lost luggage goes and people, I guess they open the lost they crack open the lost luggage and uh, sell what they find inside, <laughs> apparently. But I just, I do want to go back a different way as I came up right on that Highway 75, uh, which is, uh, it's a decent highway and, you know, on the way up we went to Bucky's, the great Walmart-sized truck stops. Uh, before that, we actually, uh, we went, in Atlanta, we went to the uh, International Center for Puppetry Arts, uh, the Puppet Museum, which was, I had only found out about Friday morning, and so a few hours later, after I found out about it, we were there. <coughs> um, it was unbelievable. Um, they have, I mean, it, it has to be one of the biggest collection in a museum of, of the Jim Hen of works of Jim Henson. So many Muppets from Sesame Street, The Muppet Show. I mean, the pigs in space are there, for God's sakes. Uh, the, the, the captain and the, uh, the Spock guy. Dark Crystal, there's a complete Gartham there. The giant crab-like creature. So much stuff. Augur is there, you know. Stuff from Labyrinth. So much incredible stuff. And then other puppets, too, like Madam, you know, from Wayland Flowers and Madam. And, uh, you know, each of these puppets may not... There may, there may have been many copies of these puppets that were that were made. Like uh, They have the uh, Crow T. Robot and Tom Servo from Mystery Science Theater 3000, but the ones they had were, were made in 2018. So I don't know if they, if they make multiple copies of them for these shows. So many cool puppets. It was just shocking. It was amazing. And I think so, sort of one of the themes running through, right, this trip, especially this thing Rock City we went to yesterday, I had never heard of this thing, um, is that, you know, wh the nature of reality, right? Is it a stable reality? Like, all this stuff has been here all this time. And now I just we, we just happened to visit Chattanooga and the area, and we're discovering what had already what had always been there, right? They, you know, the stuff has already the way we normally think of reality, like the stuff is already here, right? But you just hadn't heard of it, you know. 
each person only has a limited field of view and field of information, right? When you think of, you know, how many cities like Chattanooga there are in the world, I mean, there's thousands and thousands. I mean, those, the city has like 180,000 people still. There's thousands, if not tens of thousands of cities like this around the world that have their own quirks and features. And how could you know about all of them? You learn about a smattering of highlights of the world around you. And so you get a sense that you know the world, but you really don't, right? The broad overview. And I think you feel this sense of, if anything was important enough to know, like you know the overview, the, the, we live on this planet, and there's seven continents, and there's people living on six of them, and there's a few people living on Antarctica, uh, let's not even worry about the whole flat earth thing that's a whole other topic but uh, uh, right and you have an overview of what kind of what it's like in these various places a vague mental image of what South America is like though I've never been there Central America North America you know Europe Asia Africa Australia all the island nations over there in the Pacific all over the place. Oh, some sirens in the distance. Morning sirens, Chattanooga. But really, you don't know all the details, obviously. And so, as you explore, you uncover what had always been there. See, that's the main... was one way of looking at reality, right? That, um, yeah, that it had always been there. The other way of looking at it is that reality is not as is not like that, right? Um, kind of like the perhaps misunderstood and perhaps I misunderstand these quantum theories, where um, things don't things exist in a state of flux or a state of you know like Schrodinger's cat, you know, like things exist. At, is all possibilities until you actually observe them and then they collapse into one of the possibilities, right? So, for example, if you were to take a, a six-sided die, die and roll a dice, a die, secretly in a box, like, it's, it's all six numbers, super superimposed, until you look at it and the moment you look at it, one of those six is, is uh, solidified. It is what happened, Right? But meanwhile, the idea is that the moment, like you roll the die, say it was two minutes ago, right? And in those two minutes, and then two minutes later, you look at it. So in those two minutes, one of two things is going on. An absolute number, let's say when you look at it, it's a four. So let's say in those two minutes between where you rolled it but didn't look at it, and then you looked at it two minutes later, what's going on there? Was it a four? And then you, you look at it, and you reveal that it's a four, or... Is it all six numbers superimposed and it only collapses to four the moment you look at it, right? That's sort of what I'm thinking about on this trip because so much stuff has been so unexpected and so up my, so perfect for me, especially Rock City, uh, something I had never heard about in any way, shape, or form before. Um, <clears throat> I uh, was just completely shocked. Had it always been here in that form? 
or did it exist in an infinity of forms until I observed it and then it collapsed into one thing I know it I know it sounds like intuitively no it was always there I just never heard of it um But uh, to give you some of an overview, like I, I'm still working on this episode. The episode I'm, you know, this is the central. But this episode, like I was in this cave last night. I recorded the whole time. Like I, I have to do some editing, right? But anyway, we uh, <coughs> when we landed in Atlanta, yeah, I was uh, on, on the on the plane. I was uh, playing Flea Devil Solitaire with the new walkie-talkie rule. Really working on that. And watching Die Hard from 1988 uh, without sound. It was so great. I really enjoyed watching it, even without sound. Then we got to the car rental. I used Alamo. They're, they're very much part of Enterprise. And uh, there was a big line. But I had done this all this, gone through this rigmarole to skip the line. Turns out they, uh, they were very low on cars. Because normally, in ideal situations, they have this big lot. And and you choose you have you chose what you wanted in this case, I chose a, a, a compact SUV. There's a whole section that the sign says compact SUVs for Alamo, and you just get in the car. The keys are in there. You choose your car, and you drive up to the booth, and you you give them your form and your driver's license, and also and your credit card and whatever. So you just they make sure you're the right person. But in this case, they were om- they were almost completely out of cars, so they were waiting for them to come up, and we eventually got a. A blue Ford EcoSport. <laughs> I actually want to look this up. Like, is that an actual car? The Ford EcoSport. I mean, <clears throat> let me see. Let me see this. Yeah, EcoSport. <laughs> when, when, when did this happen? It's, it's a cool vehicle. It's like a cool little 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 SUV vehicle. I want to see when the cell thing started. Oh, originally built in Brazil. Oh, the vehicle entered the North American market for the first time in 2018. Okay, so yeah. see another thing I never heard of the Ford EcoSport. <laughs> nice. So anyway, um, so yeah, so we uh, we started driving, and there's just this endless traffic jams in Atlanta. I don't know if I was there on a particularly bad day, but the traffic was just awful. And the roads were, like, worse than New Jersey. You know, in New Jersey, the endless spaghetti of roads, on-ramps, off-ramps. And as you're driving, you know, one thing that just annoys me is that you're in a lane that... And it doesn't even matter, like, what lane you're in. Eventually, it'll, like, go bad and, like, it'll lane ends. Or this, the, the lane you've been driving in for miles, oh, this becomes an exit-only lane. So you have to continue to drift to the left. Um, and sometimes it even happens on the right. And... uh there was a ton of that going on. We didn't know what lane to be in, and I, I, the car's navigation system is like crap compared to like Google Maps or, or Waze, <clears throat> and it was completely wrong a couple times. But anyway, yeah, we went up to the Museum of Puppetry as I mentioned, and there's like almost no one there. <laughs> like the only people there is a couple other people there. So cool. Then we went to this outdoor mall. It's like a shopping mall, but it's also like a little town. <laughs> it was like it's called Atlantic Station. And um, yeah, you can drive around it, but it's all bu- it was all built at once, obviously. And there's an underground parking garage, but we found on street parking. Um, and we went to a vegan place there called N Vegan, and then we went. There was like a, a marketplace set up, you know, with vendors with tents. 
and we're talking to this 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 older couple and they were all talking about like ufos and conspiracy theories about covid and oh government mind control it was amazing it was just so great um so yeah so then we we continued up eventually once you get out of atlanta the traffic eases up it was just madness and there was this express lane i guess because of this and I have it was a rental car. It's like oh, you, oh, if to to enter the express lane, you need the Peach Pass. What the hell's the Peach Pass? Like, I, I, do I have it? It's do the cars here have Peach Pass? It's obviously sort of like our Easy Pass up north. Um, so I didn't get on. I'm like, I don't know. I'll, 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 if I get a fine, will they will the car company like charge me? So I stayed on the regular road, 75, and it was endless traffic and traffic jams. Oh my god, it was so annoying. But this road you saw to the left, it was almost like this elevated roadway <laughs> that was built. like a, It was like a, a bridge built. You know, like they had this single column that sort of spread out on the top and then the roadway on it. It looked so expensive. But you have to pay. You have to pay to drive on it. And I saw these people zooming by. It was like this magic road. There was no traffic at all. And I was there stuck in traffic. You really see about the haves and the have-nots. Well, I did not have the Peach Pass, so I was one of the have-nots. Uh, yeah, it was wild. But eventually, <laughs> you free yourself from the Atlanta area. And then 75 North, so going through Georgia. And then I saw that uh, there's a, I saw a sign for Bucky's. You know, as I mentioned, my, my favorite place. Everyone loves Bucky's. It's so unexpected and so wonderful. It's just this huge rest stop, like truck stop, but it's like this giant store, like nothing you've ever seen before. And I didn't know they had them up over here in Georgia. You know, I thought they, I, I knew there was some further south, but it was a pleasant surprise. It was in Calhoun, Georgia, kind of like the song I wrote, Possible Calhoun. So we had a great time there. Then we finally got to the hotel here. <clears throat> and there's a big parking lot next to the hotel, so I parked in it, but there was no one else parked. I'm like, this is weird. They're like, yeah, and we don't own that parking lot. So yeah, you, we have, you have to do valet parking and... <laughs> How do you not own the parking lot next to your hotel? <laughs> I guess there's this whole back history to everything. As I was saying, the back history, is it there or is it just solidified once you go there? I don't know. But the, what about other people that are solidifying these things? Other people, that's a big philosophical question. Solipsism? No. We don't no one wants to no one wants solipsism. Um <clears throat> Yeah, so then we we left the hotel to wander around. We're going down to Chattanooga Choo Choo, which this is also something that was really confusing because, of course, what do I know about Chattanooga? You know, pardon me, son, is that the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Yes, yes, track 49. Well, you can give me a shine. <laughs> a shoe shine? <laughs> it's kind of creepy. Hey, boys, shine my shoes. What kind of shoes? I never had. I don't have any shoes that need to be shined. I have like these sneaker things on. You can't shine them. What is this whole obsession with shoe shines? It's it's weird. It's something I've never I've, ne- I've never had a sh- my shoes shined. Like if your shoes are shinier, people will respect you more. Why? Oh man, uh, do you do you come from just a few years after me? But there was a time. 
in my life, I guess every, it's, you, you wore those shoes. I mean, with the leather bottoms that go clop, clop in hallways. And yeah, those things you needed, if you're going to keep them for any length of time, which a quality shoe lasts. Yes, indeed. Uh, you would shine them yourself or you would uh, take advantage, uh, usually near a barber shop where you were doing your personal grooming. Uh a shoe shine person would sit up there and yes um for whatever reason that uh, work seemed to gravitate towards uh people of color i don't know i it's and it's a trope but it's also very real i had my shoe shined as a kid by a black man who set up a little booth and he did that to make his living his money i don't know uh it's a strange concept from a 2022 brain but uh it's some sort of free parking i guess if you can just get the shoe polish and you set up a little stand you spend a couple hours a day there and between what you make and some tips you can do it i mean that's kind of a form of freedom in a way or, or a livelihood whereas you might not be able to find one i'm not sure and like I say, different times. I just and and you're you're coming to us from Chattanooga. I mean, that just I, I. Other people think of you know the Chattanooga choo choo and all that, but I think of Yosemite Sam in that Bugs Bunny cartoon, <laughs> talking about Chattanooga. Yeah, that's just. Uh, Oh, and that truck stop. Uh, I know you'd like to live in a mall. It does. What does it say about me that I'd like to live in a giant truck stop? Interesting thought. Anyways, let's. Uh, we we. There's so much to get to. Let's keep rolling. I guess some people are obsessed with with the appearance of things, the surface appearance. Those with shinier shoes are better, or something. Anyway, um, so I knew the song Chattanooga Choo Choo. So there's a place called Chattanooga Choo Choo. It's like a complex. It's a hotel, but it's also like there's a lot of stuff going on there. It's very confusing. So it was the original station building. Uh, and you, the song talks about going from Pennsylvania Station, I'm assuming, in New York City, taking the train down to Chattanooga. And this was uh, Glenn Miller. Um, <clears throat> there was a movie featuring Glenn Miller that had this song. Uh, he didn't write the song, but he, he popularized the song. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that, you know, it's, it had, I think it was during the war and people, I don't know why people were going to Chattanooga. I don't know. But anyway, <clears throat> I know the song very well because I had the, that Glenn Miller gold CD from way back when. And I do love the swing here. I love that music. Um, but apparently uh, train service, that train service that you could take from New York to here ended a while back, and then all train service to Chattanooga ended in 1970. That's a long time ago now, 1970. And uh, <clears throat> so we go to this place, and I knew it was a hotel, but there's these, it's basically a, like a train station. Like there's like 10 or 12 tracks, and there's trains on all the tracks, old trains, but apparently the whole thing is a hotel. You can stay 
inside rooms inside the trains. But it was weird. There were, like, no lights on inside or anything. It was like, were there people in there? And then there was, like, a bar that was in one of the train cars, but it was like you could go in there, and as my wife mentioned, it was almost like a, like a, um, like a David Lynch scene inside there, and it was, like, super hot, and there was, like, no one in there. <laughs> like, the whole place was abandoned. There was no one behind the counter. But eventually we went to a bar. And then there was an arcade we didn't go to. But there was a bar for this something like Number 11 Experimental Distillery. And apparently all they served there was stuff they made there. So they had all these absinthe drinks. And I realized they make absinthe there. Um, so I had this, like, f- absinthe with, like, they took a sage leaf and burned it and dropped it in there. It was amazing. And then we, so we were outside at the bar looking in, and there was a... The inside of the space, there were seats and stuff, but there's no one in there. And there's this woman, singer-songwriter, singing. Was, the volume was so low. And then we met this couple from uh, Iowa, and we are talking because the guy, he was talking about Nutley, I, I could have sworn. And he said he used to live in this Holiday Inn for work uh, by Little Falls, though I think it, it's Woodland Park. There was probably Wes Patterson back when he was there. And that's the same... Holiday Inn that I went in inside the Holiday Inside with my college girlfriend Aaron. We had this long conversation. It was pretty wild. <laughs> then we walked back and, you know, walking, like we were just walking around and there was a couple spots where there gets a little, a lot of people hanging out in these, co- like it looks like a, a, a place where people are hanging out that really, what's the right way of saying it? It looks like kind of a bad area. But there wasn't too much of that around here, but I think, like anywhere, Chattanooga is a place with the haves and have-nots, as, as I was mentioning. Um, yeah, so we uh, and we also walked through this thing called Warehouse Row. It was a, It's a mall that used to be a warehouse, but I thought I read online it was open until 10, but it was all closed. So at least we walked past that place. <coughs> we did some kind of mall, not much. Um... And then uh, for dinner, we went to this place called Bitter Alibi. It's a bar that has some vegan food, like a burger and uh, some tacos. and It was pretty good. You know, it was all right. And, uh, yeah, they have, like, spiral staircases to go up to the different levels. And they have this video game, Killer Queen, which is, like, this custom-made video game that I saw once in Austin, I think. Like, I think, like, six or 12 people can play at once, and you play, the, like, these little bees fighting each other. On It's almost sort of like, a little bit like Joust, that kind of platform setup. <clears throat> I didn't play it, and apparently there's a third level with a with a, a cocktail bar, but by that point we were pretty tired. That was just the first day. Um, then in the hotel here, there's a place called Syrup and Eggs. It's a brunch place that apparently is very hard to get into, but since we're hotel guests, we get we get first dibs. As long as you make a, a, a reservation the night before. So, yeah, they have these incredible vegan pancakes that we got with uh, blueberries and uh, vegan potatoes with vegan uh, mushroom gravy. and Really good place. So then uh, yesterday, we basically were on foot the whole day. You know, our car remained <coughs> um, valet parked wherever they park it, somewhere around here. Because <laughs> when we had the... Yesterday when we, we got the car, the, the valet started running down the street, and then he didn't come back for like 10 minutes. I don't know. They must park it like five blocks away or something. That's wild. Then what? What if there's two people waiting? You're going you're gonna to wait 20 minutes for your car. 
Anyway, so yeah, we walked through downtown, down Broad Street, <coughs> went to some shops, and I went to the pinball museum. Had a lot of great pinball machines, including X's and O's, which I do play on the other side from time to time. Then we uh, walked over to the museum, the Hunter Museum uh, of American Art, which is actually a really good museum. Some really cool stuff there. There was like a... It was a um, a mansion that was built in like the 1800s, and then all around it they built this more modern building for the art collection. It was really good art. I really feel like it wasn't as frustrating as I usually as frustrated as I usually feel in these museums. So apparently, what happened was, um, uh, as we all know, Coca Cola originated in Atlanta, Georgia, but it was a it was a fountain drink, right? You you it was a syrup that you would put in your fountain and serve to people. But this guy, Hunter, up here in Chattanooga, felt that he could put it in bottles. But the guy that invented Coca-Cola, whatever his name was, was like, listen, man, there's no way you could put this stuff in a bottle. It's not a possible. It has to be a fountain. I don't know what was wrong with this guy. Just put the damn stuff in a bottle. What's wrong with you? So apparently this guy, Hunter, kept pestering him. like, listen, dude. I don't know if that's the way they talked back in the 1800s. Listen, dude, I can bottle this stuff, okay? Come on. Look at me. I'm a bottler, okay? But were they worried about, like, the carbonation staying in? Or, like, the fountain, I'm assuming, is similar. You have a a soda water, a carbonated water, combining with a syrup to a cup. <laughs> I mean, put it in a bottle. Seal the bottle. What could go wrong? What, they think it was going to, like, go bad or something? I, we didn't really figure that out. Anyway, this guy's like, listen, we bottle this stuff. And so, apparently, this is a big story down here. You know, the, uh, <clears throat> the, the Coke guy is like, listen, dude, you're full of shit. This is never going to work. You really want, oh, you really want to bottle Coca-Cola? Ooh. I, I, I'll sell you the right to bottle Coca-Cola for $1. That's how much I believe you're going to fail. I feel bad for you. You're going to spend all this money building a factory. It's going to fail. One dollar. One dollar, you can have the rights. Yeah, not the best move business-wise. Kind of like the perhaps apocryphal story of IBM telling Bill Gates, who cares about this software stuff? Of course you can include MS-DOS with all of our personal computers. So anyway, the rest is history. The bottling went very well. Sold like hotcakes. And uh, so that was, that was that guy's mansion <laughs> that we were in, the museum, the guy that, the guy that bottled the Coca-Cola. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was a cool museum. So from there, we went over to the, the riverboat. And it was so confusing because you walk over to the riverboat and you see it. Oh, there's the riverboat. And you go in and it's like this big store in there and it's weird. And then you look over and then there's another riverboat on the other side. <laughs> Apparently, the first riverboat had been a, uh, a a casino down somewhere in Mississippi or something, you know, a riverboat casino, and it's a boat, but it didn't have any. It had to be towed up there. It didn't have its own motor because it was just meant to be a casino. So then the other boat apparently was built in the '80s, and it's just like a tour boat, and it was a, it just goes up and down the Tennessee River. It was a really cool tour. Really enjoyed that, <clears throat> and then. Uh,
then we walked over the uh, pedestrian bridge. What was it? The, was it the Walker Street Bridge or Walnut Street Bridge or something like that? And um, oh yeah, on the riverboat we bought a bucket of beer, <laughs> six beers, for the for the trip. It was kind of cool having a bucket of beer. Uh, and 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 all these and the 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 tour guides, you know, that do the announcements, like they must they must just all have the same writer because it's all these sort of self-effacing jokes. And the guy's like, well, you know, uh, thanks for the tour. If you enjoy this tour, my name is, uh, is Sam, and uh, this has been the uh, Chattanooga River Tour. If you didn't enjoy this tour, my name is Nick, and this is blah, 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 blah. And we heard that same gag in, in the cave we were in. This sort of uh, pre-written tour humor. Even on the train thing, the guy was like, I'm bad at math. Are you really? Good for you. Uh, th- so then we went over the pedestrian bridge, and as we were walking over the bridge, we saw this um, this huge event was going on down, hundreds of feet down in this park. All these temp- tents were set up, and it was the Skyhounds World Championship. So this is where you throw a Frisbee at a, to a dog, and it runs and catches it and brings it back to you. It's like this, this event, and... Uh, I don't know if it was televised, but we were watching it from the bridge. It was very cool. It was a perfect place to watch it from. So then we went to Cashew, a vegan restaurant. It was really good. And from there, we took an Uber back to the hotel. And then for the main event, we went down to see Jack White at the Walker Theater. Just a quick five five or six-minute walk down to there. Maybe ten-minute walk from uh, from our hotel. That's why we chose this hotel. It's close to the theater. And, of course, when you go to a Jack White show, you have to put your phone in a little bag it seals it up so you, so we were sitting there and it was like really cold in there and you had to just sit there and they were playing this weird like weird new age music that was very relaxing and I was like drifting off to sleep we had to sit there for like over an hour waiting with you can't even look at your phone to play games or anything waiting for the show to start but it was a great show it was a really good show and, and we even saw Jack's wife and his uh, his daughter from another marriage walk out uh, the side door and into the theater, and you know he he was. It's an acoustic show, and it was a really small place. It was a really really magical event, and then uh, you know because there was a, a drummer, a bass player, and a keyboardist, and then Jack White on guitar, and um, yeah, um, at one point he he was doing his own thing, so <laughs> the two guys, the drummer and the the bassist, just came out, and we could see them so clearly by the side there, and it was really cool. It was a very magical time, so. So then yesterday morning, uh, I had planned everything out. So we're going to be driving. So we went to the uh, syrup and eggs again. And um, as far as the drinks, like I think on Saturday, it was actually the exact fifth anniversary of the place. So they had their fifth anniversary mimosa. The guy said it was their fifth anniversary. We're thinking, is it that day? But it was that day. Um, So then... The concierge guy was like at like you know the dealer's choice, which is if you order the dealer's choice for breakfast, he'll make you a drink, whatever he feels like making. So I got this like green liquid. <laughs> it was pretty good, <clears throat> and I my guess was it was like an apple green apple liqueur and absinthe, and turned out to be Midori uh, melon liqueur and um, chartreuse liqueur, which is a distant relative to absinthe. That was pretty cool. So we got the car and uh, 
started we do, we had a jam packed day yesterday and in fact yesterday we were like um <clears throat> kind of like rushing from from place to place <clears throat> it was a little aggravating cuz it we you know like you had to like train rides and cave explorations and this and that. everything was timed so sort of like and you had to drive everywhere it seemed like everywhere we went was like t- a 20 minute drive to everywhere um so we started off at the towing museum, which was really cool. I mean, when we went there, I'm like, no, I'm re- really excited. He's like, well, I hope you are, or, or if you're just, you know, faint, uh, pretending. I'm like, no, I really, this is, looks cool. I love car museums. And I I guess people, when I told people about it, they, they think it's like this, a joke over oh, the museum of towing. But it turns out it's this big thing. Like the towing industry is this whole subculture unto itself. Really cool, really cool place. Then we went over to the train ride, the Tennessee Valley Railway Museum. That was amazing. We were in this this vintage train car with the windows open, and you go through these woods, and you get to this other station, and they have this turntable where they can turn the engine around. <coughs> and there's two engines. Like we, we just did the diesel because of the timing, but they also have a steam engine. It's apparently a very famous steam engine. Um, you get to go to the shop where they fix the trains. Really impressive stuff. Really amazing. I, I absolutely love it. There's a tunnel where there's absolute pitch darkness in the train. Like, it's no light whatsoever in the train. It's amazing. Um, after that, we, we rushed to a place called Sluggo's North, a, a vegan place of, where the vegan brunch. Really very close to where Cashew was on the north, the north side of that bridge. And that was really good, too. Really, really good. I had some grits amongst other things it was so great um, and then we went to Rock City now this is the strangest thing so the night before at the concert there's the poster is a, this barn and it says C. Jack White in big block letters written on the top of the barn I'm like wow I've never heard of that I don't know what that even means what is that reference to now meanwhile we saw a few billboards driving up 75 for Rock City, see Rock City, but I had no idea what it is. It Was it a rock climbing place? Like it, it just showed people like climbing up some steps or something. It made no sense. So yesterday morning, I'm like, all right, what the hell is this Rock City? And I start looking at, I'm like, wait a minute, what is this? There's weird fairy tale caves and all these walkways. Like, what the hell is this? This is amazing. And in the course of the day, we found out this is something that there's been these Sea Rock City signs like painted on for like since the 1930s painted on barns and everyone driving everywhere would see, would see these Sea Rock City signs and became a huge part of the culture. I know that phenomenon from driving out west, the wall drug posters, uh, uh, billboards, you know, that they would have for thousands of miles. It's like only 1,500 miles to wall drug. And it's a, like a drugstore compound, but it's, it's, it's cool, though. I haven't been there in years. But. And then, of course, driving south on 95, it's south of the border, which is really kind of this crappy little tourist dive place. Uh, but we would always stop there. Uh, <coughs> so apparently Rock City was the same thing. I never heard of this, never. This was the one that was so up my alley and so... It, it felt like it was ripped from my mind, my subconscious, because I've been talking about pathways and dark rides and dioramas, and they had everything like that. Um, that's that's the most I really thought that, listen, 
you know, did this really exist all these years exactly like this and I'm just now discovering it? It blew my mind. This place was unbelievable. So originally it was at the top of this mountain. It was like these rocks that were just a natural formation. It was almost like a city that was like a, a city with streets and lanes. And um, the people that bought the land decided to open it as, as, as a park. Rock City Gardens was the original name. And uh, it's just pathway, this walkway. Unbelievable. I've never seen it. It's hard to describe it. I've never seen anything like it. Part natural and part man-made walkways. There's these needle eye squeezes, the fat man squeeze, these places where you have to, it's like you're squeezing through these <clears throat> really thin corridors. Then there's this overlook where you can see seven different states and uh, all of these, there's a waterfall coming out of the side of the mountain. Then you go into the fairy tale caverns and there's beautiful dioramas like with black lights of all the different characters except the, the the pop goes the weasel I don't know what happened to that one they played the song but I didn't see any weasels um, <clears throat> that place was unbelievable I can't believe I never saw Rock City before but now I have I have seen Rock City so then we sort of the final ones there's three main attractions on Lookout Mountain and Chattanooga is named after, after the Indian word for the mountain which is the Creek Indians I think means a peak with a sharp point or um, Chattanooga um, so we did the incline railway which is this train and eventually it's going like 72 degrees it's almost going straight up it's really bizarre and scary towards the top it's really cool um, and then of course Ruby Falls which is the uh, the cavern and this is a whole story this guy used to play in the in this lookout mountain cave as a kid, you know, in, in the early 1800s. As a kid in the 1800s, I imagine a cave is a fun place to play. But the railroad came and sealed up the entrance of the cave, so he eventually bought the land above it, and he raised money to drill down into the earth to try to find the cave, his, his, the cave from his childhood. And um, he, uh, he found this other cave that had this underground waterfall Ruby Falls. He named it after his wife. Though apparently later they got divorced. But I couldn't find any information about that. Our tour guide wasn't very good. He was a nursing student. He even admitted he wasn't a very good tour guide. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, yeah, you walk about a half a mile <laughs> under the ground to see this this huge waterfall. Really impressive. Really amazing. Um, and uh, yeah. So by then... And you're in the same elevator shaft that this guy dug, like, in the, in the 1930s. <clears throat> Starting in the 1920s, I think. And uh, so then we needed to get dinner, and we couldn't find any place open that had vegan stuff. So we went uh, across town to the Whole Foods. It was kind of cool walking through a Whole Foods right after walking through a cave. And, uh, you know, we got some chips and guac and, I, and some salsa. I wound up spilling, spilling the salsa all over my leg. It was a big mess. But anyway, my wife took a bath in the... Uh, pedestal tub they had here they have here and uh yeah so then here i am this morning and we have one more adventure going to alabama before we get back to jersey the episode i've been recording is uh been real long like i left the recorder on for all all of the voiceover narration on the boat and then in the cave i just left it on so i don't know i think i may need to do some i don't know how long this is going to be it's I have to uh, assess the situation and 
to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> but this has been an amazing trip. All thanks to Jack White. Back to you, PQ. Oh, friends, and don't let the length scare you, no, sir. Uh, boy, that sounds like a cautionary tale indeed. But, uh, yeah, I am still in the midst of, and this is like supplementary Chattanooga trip material. When Frank goes on a trip, he just is so good at bringing I Someday. Uh, and, and he inspires me. He, this is just, I've got the best idea that there ever was here. Uh, that, although this would have to be crowdfunded. I mean, this is a serious commercial venture in internet transmissions. The And, and somebody may be doing it. Uh, it's a couple guys online like Daily Woo, maybe. The Endless Road Trip Podcast, where... Uh, that's what you do all the time. Uh, I guess eventually, if you could fund it, you would buy some vehicle that you live in, and that would be it. You would be on the road and uh, sending daily dispatches from all over. I guess, well, I don't think you could cover all of the United States in a lifetime if you were really being thorough and step by step and hitting all the little towns I really don't think it's possible I mean you could spend days in certain towns I mean you don't have to move around that much and god that the, the adventures you could have on the road although I don't know but could could my delicate constitution live through such a thing? But uh, I can dream, can't I? The Endless Road Trip Podcast. Oh, man, that would just be... What an adventure that could be. And just so many... And the de the death of the museum. I mean, Frank went to that wonderful puppet museum and... Oh, it's so, but interestingly, I don't remember, even though Sid and Marty Croftland was right there in Atlanta, I don't recall any mention of Sid and Marty Croft and all the old TV, like the Kukla Fran and Ollie stuff, Bert Tilstrom, uh, which is pretty iconic, I think, as... That, that he was as huge as Jim Henson in his day, and I did Rudy Kazuti and Howdy Doody, and that guy who did puppets for Chuck McCann, and there was a guy named Bill Baird who was very. I, but maybe I he didn't go to all of the museum. It just. But bottom line is, if you're going to keep a museum going, you have to have the stuff that people who are alive today want to see which is the Muppets and the 
exhibits they're doing, and that's what a successful museum does. And um, all these obscurities that uh, Gibbs like me like, um, I don't know, maybe we need one big museum of obscurities somewhere as a destination and also set it up so people can tour it virtually somehow i we now have the technology i would like to see more virtual museums uh situations where you can like look at objects and kind of see them in a 360 all these things are now possible and uh it seems fair, especially, I mean, when you've got a museum like the Metropolitan Museum, that most of what they hold is never going to leave a warehouse because they have far more holdings, a museum of modern art, all these big art museums hold and own and have been gifted a hundred times or more stuff than they could ever show why this stuff isn't carefully unpacked and carefully photographed filmed videoed digitized and then you put it back in the case and you have the digital version of the museum i don't know and like we already don't have more than we could look at in a lifetime available to us that we pretend doesn't exist in this world. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, and we got Dave in Kentucky right here on the Overnightscape Central again. Uh, boy, I'm just this scatterbrain PQ. I, I, I knew that there was a Dave in Kentucky, but then for some reason I forgot. I, yeah, well, it's, it's yeah, we'll call it the post COVID uh, brain fart or something, but uh, I, I may just be getting old here. It, it, it could be happening. Thanks, PQ. I uh, think I'll just park it right here for a little while, if that's all right. Um, you probably remember last time that I was on the Central, we were doing the Let's Talk About Art uh, topic, and I talked about uh, the show art for my sermon series, and we got down to uh, the one about Abraham and Isaac, one where, where God tells uh, Abraham to uh, sacrifice his son Isaac, and and uh, he takes him up into the hills and uh, is just about ready to off him when <laughs> when uh, uh, the voice of the Lord tells him to stop and provides him a substitute. And um, in the process of talking about that art, I talked about the uh, the Bob Dylan song Highway sixty one revisited. And the first verse of that song um, goes. Uh, and I'm reading from uh, BobDylan.com. So these are the official lyrics. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe says, man, you must be putting me on. God say, no. Abe say, what? God say, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Well, Abe says, where do you want this killing done? God says, out on Highway 61. And that's very close to the way the story starts out in Genesis, Genesis 22. Um, I'm going to read the uh, few verses that 
that cover this story from the King James Version, which I'm, I'm reading from kingjamesbibleonline.org. That's one of the two um, Bible sites that I use most often. This one and uh, biblehub.com, which I find very, very helpful with the, uh, the Hebrew <laughs> uh, and, and the uh, variety of meanings that can be given to those Hebrew words. But anyway, uh, Genesis 22, it starts out and it talks about God tempting Abraham, but I, I think really what it means is that he was testing Abraham. <clears throat> and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and laid it upon Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand, and a knife, and they went both of them together. Took the fire in his hand, I guess they didn't have a way of, of starting fire yet, uh, other than carrying fire with them. That's what it makes it sound like. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand, and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven, and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And that's the basic story. And there's plenty of material there that Bob, <laughs> uh, Mr. Dillon, M Mr. Zimmerman, could have uh, made the entire song about that story. But instead he goes off and, and does some nonsense verses. They're, I mean, they seem like nonsense verses to me. They may have meant something to him. But let me just, uh, I'll, I'll go back to BobDillon.com and, and, and uh, tell you, at least part of the rest of the lyrics. The second verse starts out, While Georgia Sam, he had a bloody nose, 
welfare department, they wouldn't give him no clothes. He asked poor Howard, where can I go? Howard said, there's only one place I know. Sam said, tell me quick, man, I got to run. Old Howard just pointed with his gun and said, that way, down on Highway 61. So they've introduced two new characters that have nothing to do with the first verse. You know, Georgia Sam and, and poor old Howard. <laughs> and, uh, and then in, the, in, in verse 3, it gives you two more characters, Mac the Finger and Louis the King. And, and Mac is trying to get rid of all these red, white, and blue shoestrings and telephones that don't ring. And uh, uh, What does that even mean? And then uh, the next verse, he doesn't just give you two more characters. He gives you the whole fam damnly, uh, the fifth daughter and the first father and, uh, and, and the uh, second mother and the seventh son, you know. And, and he's right up in the last verse, the fifth verse, he's still introducing new characters. This one has the roving gambler and the um, promoter who nearly fell off the floor, whatever that means. So I think the song would have been a lot better, and I said this when I was on the Central this last time, the song would have been a, a lot better if it had just gone on and, and told the whole story of Abraham and Isaac. And I said, maybe someday I will uh, will write those those verses, you know, and make it into the song that it could have been, which I think, <laughs> well, I'll let you be the judge because I've got the song here. I have, I have uh, recorded it uh, uh, over a karaoke track, uh, which is, I think, the original um, the music that was used on the Bob Dylan album, Highway 61 Revisited, uh, but they have removed the, the vocal part of it somehow. But I took it and because it wasn't really in my key, it was in B flat, which I don't know why he put it in B flat to begin with, because there weren't any horns, you know, in there. Usually if you're, if you're, if you're uh, doing songs in B flat or E flat or A flat, it's because you've got a horn section. But I didn't hear any horn section in this unless it's a silly little siren thing that he blows on to... Well, you'll hear it, a little whistle thing. <laughs> that's not a horn, not really a horn. That, uh, that's less of a horn than uh, than Tampa Red's jazz horn, which was a kazoo, <laughs> big fancy kazoo, but it, that he wore in a, in a on a neck rack, you know, kind of like like Bob Dylan's harmonica rack. But anyway, getting off the topic. Uh, well, I don't I don't guess there is a topic actually, since this is. Uh, uh, free parking. By the way, free parking, you know, that reminds me of the Monopoly game, um, where it's original, in the original game, just you, nothing happens when you land on free parking. But the way that we always played it, uh, all the, um, like, fines and taxes and stuff like that went into the middle, and I think it was, there was like a, an, an ante from the banker uh, to begin with, like a hundred bucks or something like that. And whoever, whoever landed on free parking got whatever was in the middle in that pod at that time. But anyway, now I'm really off topic. Uh, no, I'm really on topic. Well, doesn't matter. Uh, 
so I rewrote the song. I, I made it have the same number of verses that that it had on the in the original song, but I made it. I did only only new character I introduced was Isaac, because um, there's there's really only three people involved here. There's there's God, Abraham, and Isaac. I mean, it mentions the two young men, which I don't know what the significance is of them being young men. <laughs> I don't know if. I, Abraham was some kind of, well, anyway, uh, probably just because they were young and capable of doing work, you know, and, and, and fending off the predators and whatnot while they were on the, on the way to the mountain on Highway 61. But anyway, here is, uh, here is my version of Highway 61 Revisited. I've kept the original first verse. Um, but I've added four verses of my own. I call this Highway 61 Rewritten. Well, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said you can do what you want, Abe, but then next time you see me coming, you better run. Abe said, well, you want this uh, killing done. God said out on Highway 61. Well, Abe said to Isaac, Ike, you're my son. I need you to help me to get some stuff done. So gather some firewood, load up your ass. We'll head down the highway and up through the pass. Ike said that that don't sound like a whole lot of fun. Ed said, Ike, get moving and get them chores done. We got an appointment on Highway 61. Well, just off the highway and up on the hill, that's where Abe's planning to make his big kill. Ike saw the firewood and Ike saw the knife, and he knew those were used to take an innocent life. Well, I think you forgot something, Dad, said Abraham's son. Abe said, don't you worry, it's rule number one that God will provide out on Highway 61. Well, they built them an altar, a barbecue pit, stacked it with firewood as much as would fit. They tied up Isaac and set him on top, raised up the knife, but a voice called out, stop. Now don't you do nothing, it said, that can't be undone. I'll sell you a ram to take the place of your son. It's a special today on Highway 61. Well, Abe untied Isaac, and Isaac said, Damn, is she really gonna kill me instead of that ram? Abe said, Yep, and Isaac said, No way. Abe said, When God calls, you do what he say, or the next time you see him coming, you better run. 
Ike says, well, this button is just about done. Should feed us all the way home on Highway 61. Yeah, Highway 61. We Yeah, I played back the section that I recorded before uh, before I put the song in there and, and uh, realized that I had started to tell you that I had changed the key from B-flat to G because, you know, that way I didn't have to strain my voice or anything to to reach the, uh, the high. There's no real high notes in it, but, you know, <laughs> I have very limited range. Um, but anyway... Yeah, that's a nice feature of Audacity that I've discovered. If you go to Effect, uh, and then there, I think it's called Change Pitch. It allows you to change the pitch of, of whatever portion of, uh, um, audio that you have selected. And you can, you can raise it or lower it by half steps. So I, I, I selected the entire, um, karaoke track and um, lowered it by three half steps and it changes the key from B flat to G. So, hope you liked my little tune. Well, it's not my tune. Hope you liked my little uh, revamping of the lyrics of the Bob Dylan tune. So, I don't really have a whole lot else to say today. I hope everybody's doing well. And I will see you the next time that I'm on the Overnight Scape Central. <laughs> and until then, I'll give it back to you, PQ. Wow, that was, that I am mightily impressed there. Uh, that that was fine, Dave. Uh, all the way around the pitch change. Yeah, I use that trick uh, myself here and there in various things. And it, it can be used in a many different ways, but uh, audacity tips aside. And the good lyrically, and uh, again, it all ties in with your ongoing series. And, uh, and we're part of the magic now. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, yeah, this it's an up-and-coming thing. And if you haven't listened to Dave's sermons, yeah, I know, sermons, oh, wow, oh, church, bad, we're run. But uh, he is giving a very thoughtful overview of, uh, he started at the beginning of the Old Testament, and it's just good examination, if nothing else, of a story we all are sort of familiar with. Oh, man, you want to talk about a story? Let, let me digress a little because we can do that here because it's uh, but sh just briefly uh, that remake of Pinocchio. Oh, boy. Oh, God. It, it has moments. I will give it that. I mean, the clocks and there are a couple of just instance, you know, moments in a film. Where I, oh, but watch the old cartoon. The animated Pinocchio will do you just fine. And I am kind of looking forward to the uh, new, new live-action Pinocchio because the story itself has a lot more to it, so that could be pretty groovy. But this Disney uh, 2022 version of Pinocchio, uh, it was... I mean, as a student of CGI and stuff... You, 
and Tom Hanks and uh, I don't know. Uh, it, it it's made for someone else, and I don't know who because uh, kids. I don't know any kids that are going to sit through this willingly. It, it's just slow and the the language and the way and the songs i don't know about those songs i mean yes they're the old songs but just a little tweaky here and there but it's not working and yeah see i'm always complaining that pq river it just doesn't end he's ruining everything people are loving that pinocchio and he has to come in and yeah, that's if we're trying to be a better person, but some days I don't know. Uh, but here's where I uh, well, yeah. The first we got to thank everybody: Dave, Frank, Chad, Doc. Uh, this was a marvelous episode of the Overnightscape Central, an exemplar, uh, a fun, an excellent exemplar at that so uh thanks and uh, now here's where we entice you to participate next week when the topic is 2010 yeah not that long ago yeah just just a little ways back to me it seems like it was almost like yesterday but yeah 2010 is the topic the email address you write it down right now kpqr.torc at gmail.com the deadline being september 27th 2022 uh in the evening time if you would um and again the email address kpqr.torc at gmail.com and with that uh, i could probably drivel more yeah, with I just it's getting late, and we have to get this to your ears. So uh, once again, thank you for the loan of those ears, and until the next time we meet, set the controls for the heart of the fun. <laughs>